Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric Jacobson. And I'm Deborah Seke. And today we are joined by a personal friend of ours and a friend of the podcast. This guy won the uh, Open Jack and Jill at the U.S. Open in 1994 with Kelly Benbuckwalter, now Casanova. He helped found, promote, and run Boogie by the Bay in its early years, and he continues to be active in the West Coast Swing scene and community, serving as a judge, a DJ, and all-around supporter of the community. And I will add that he has been a great friend and mentor to me in running Mission City Swing, and uh, I have the privilege of chatting with him all the time about these kind of dance-related things and other things. He's a very smart guy, a very insightful guy, and also working on his PhD in psychology. Clinical psychology? Yes, clinical psychology um, here in the Bay Area. We are thrilled to have joining us today, Mr. Tom Paderna. Welcome, Tom. Hi, everybody. He's also a very good friend of mine. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a total crush on Deborah. Aw, you're just saying that because it's true. No, I was going to say, who doesn't? Oh, stop. <laughs> Did I ever tell you, Deborah, when I first, well, I mentioned that I first saw you dancing at Boston, I think it was Boston Tea Party way back when. Mm. And my first thought was when I saw you dance, well, other than being impressed by your dancing, was I was like, I don't think she has a spine. I think she's just made of all muscle. I think muscle <laughs> just holds her together. I was like, that woman, wow. Uh, you know, actually, I have a Deborah story too. So. Yeah, what's your well, I have a quick story? Deborah story. So, uh-uh. yeah, my Deborah story is like we were saying earlier, she first came to uh, Boogie Bay the second year, and she showed up, and literally all of us were going, who the F is this woman? She is so <laughs> good. Where did she come from? She was like, bang! Suddenly she was there, just dancing with all the hot shots and doing incredible stuff, and uh, and she really took the Boogie, Boogie Bay the Bay, she took it over by storm in a lot of ways, and this is like back when we had Keldy and, and those other great followers that were also in the scene, but. Clearly, she made a splash the first time she showed up. We're all like talking about her. Where did she come from? And you know, and uh, people were trying to snag her. We could tell. (laughs) (laughs) It was a hot commodity, huh? Yeah, you were a hot commodity, and you were hanging out with all the Texans and with the LA crowd. So that was pretty fun. Anyway, ever makes quite the impression. I try. Strong (laughs) woman, strong presence. Yes. Um. So, Tom, we wanted to ask you. What's your West Coast Swing origin story? Like, how'd you get involved in West Coast Swing? Oh, oh. so I suspect my story is very much like everybody else or all the other, well, maybe boys and girls. Um, so I had just broken up with somebody, a long-time girlfriend of five years, moved back to the city, and I was working and doing okay. But, you know, I just wanted something to do in the middle of the week on Wednesday, literally, because mm-hmm. it's the very middle of the week. So I want something to do right in the middle of the week. So, and I always kind of wanted to do dancing because I dabbled in it before. I, at the time, I was already, already doing things like jazz, um, jazzercise, and going out to the gay clubs in San Francisco because the clubs are way more fun than the street clubs. Yeah, and the music's um, great. So, <laughs> oh, music's great. People have great attitudes. And, and all gay clubs. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and people flirt with you, and it's not a big deal. Which right. I've always liked. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, and and so on Fridays and Saturdays you get the bridge and freeway crowd. But Thursdays was all local. So that left Wednesdays as the best night to go do something else. And so there's this place locally called the Ad Ballroom where many, many, many of us got our start. Um, all old school. And on Wednesdays they happened to teach ballroom and West Coast Swing. Hmm. And that's really how I got started with that. And I tried all five uh standard Latin dances. Um, but 
they also had West Swing class that's taught by Carlos, but later on it was also taught by Kelly uh, Buckwalter. I'm sorry, Casanova, or became Casanova. Mm-hmm. And so I fell in love with the dance and uh, went from there. Although before about a year, I took all the bottom dances though. So that was a lot of fun. By the way, how did you, how did you end up dancing with Kelly? Well, I mean, it was Jack and Jill, right? So like here was somebody who was teaching you and suddenly yeah. you just worked your way up to being in, in the same division as her. What was it like to, to dance with her and, and win the U S open with the woman who helped introduce you to West coast swing? Right. You know, luckily back then we didn't have the internet, right? The only thing you knew was, was what you knew locally. Mm. And so I think, frankly, I was too stupid to know how bad I was when I first started. Um, <laughs> but I was, mercifully, a lot of the followers in, at the Avenue Ballroom thought um, probably just that I was cute. Um, but they had some abilities, and they you know, kind of brought me in and danced with me all the time, kept me busy, and I got better. Um, I also paired up with Terry Horiuchi, who was locally one of the best followers around at that time. Um, she and I actually, I worked at it. I practiced, I took private lessons with Michelle Kincaid. Um, I practiced at least two to four hours a week on my own anyway, just in front of the mirror over at the Avenue ballroom. Um, I also ordered all the VHS tapes I could find. I used to fall asleep watching dance videos mm-hmm. and lessons and things like that. Mm-hmm. It was pretty dedicated on my own. This is all pre-internet, right? So you had to really kind of reach out and do it. And so I kind of, I worked hard. It was probably not visible, but I worked hard on my own. Practice with Terry. Um, then at about a year or maybe it's only about a year. Yeah. About a year and a half into my um, start with West Coast Swing, I entered the open just cause I was stupid and didn't know any better. And luckily <laughs> I drew Kelly Pluckwalter. And that at the open that year, there was only one division for Jack and Jill. There was no, there was no intermediate advanced or anything like that. It was open, right? Was it jackpot? Yeah, it was open for anybody. For that, yeah, it was a jackpot and Jill for that year and future years. It didn't become um, leveled until at least, I want to say two or three years later. Yeah. And other than, um, you know, you mentioned like you learned from Michelle and Kelly, um, who were some of the big influences on you as you continue to develop in the scene? Oh, definitely um, Jack Carey and Annie Hirsch Mm -hmm. um, and Marianne when I had a chance to work with her. Um, It was all the L.A. folks as well because they're close by. And I became very fast friends with Annie um, and she adopted me as my Mm -hmm. as my godmother. Um, and in fact, when I got married in 99, um, back then she came up and she was my dance godmother. So she was the second person I danced with besides my biological mom. Uh-huh. So she's always been a real, real mentor. I th- yeah. she, she's influenced a lot of people, Andy Hirsch. Yes. And taken yes. a lot and of Not just in, No, in life. Not just Yeah, life. not just technique. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And how to be. A good human. And, you know, yeah, she's a great human, and mm-hmm. and and my my relationship model was Jack and Annie. Sure, you know, uh, they I had a beautiful, them, you know, um, beautiful yeah. relationship. What did you learn most from Annie? Like, what's what are some of the big takeaways you got from having the chance to work with her and have a close relationship with her? <sighs> um, besides dance technique, and she would actually take me aside and show me stuff on how to do because. 
when I first met Annie in Phoenix, I thought her feet were like little scalpels, you know, like exacto knives that were just kind of carving at the floor underneath her as I was dancing. And I was just astounded. Um, but she also taught me how to do contests and how to care for contestants because she was a contest rep mm-hmm. um, for many, many years for many, many contests and a judge's rep or a head judge. So she really taught me about all the stuff, the ins and outs of how to run a contest and how to run Jack and Jill's, of course. And I learned about Jack and Jill's from Jack Harry, who it's named after, and he was the one who started them. Um, so I learned a lot from them as a couple, but really from Annie, the ins and outs of running a contest, um, running a convention. Um, she really mentored all of us when we started Boogie. Um, we would regularly consult with her about what should we do for contests and when should we run certain things certain nights, you know, how we get couples to participate and showcase in classic. Um, all that fun stuff. Yeah. She, she was a great conduit to the rest of the swing world. Um, yeah. So, for, for example, she was really the one that was instrumental in getting relative placement out to the West Coast swing world. Also um, getting the world swing. Relative placement being used there. in Texas. She started the world swing. That's, yeah, also with, that's with, right. Uh, with Skippy. Mm-hmm. And we used to talk about that. And, and to be perfectly frank, I was kind of against it. I thought... When she first talked to me about it, I said, oh, this is going to, this point system thing is going to create a real, um, well, as it kind of happened, it created a little, what we, we in psychology call the token economy, right? Right. So it makes people behave in a certain way. Right. Some things are not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was more idealistic and I still tend to be. Mm-hmm. I was okay with the old way where people would self-classify. I agree with in that. the goodness of everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do? Okay. I do agree with that. You know, yes. and because overall, yeah, we still, I think for the most part, people will classify themselves where they should be. Um, but you do have the exception. And the problem is the exception of people who are there, actually, generally speaking, who think they dance better than they do, mm-hmm. spoil the Jack and Jill for the person who really mm-hmm. does belong in that category. You heard the story from Annie? Which one? I've heard several. <laughs> uh, Many. <laughs> the one about, um, where uh, she she found somebody in a contest, and later on she went to her and says, "Hey, why did you dance in the dance car- that category? Because you don't, you really shouldn't be." And the, the, the contestant said, "Well, because I wanted to dance with a better dancer." And she told her, "And hey, wanted to dance with somebody better too." <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know if I told that right, but that's one of the stories she's talking about. I have a different story with Annie about that because when I first came into the swing community, the World Swing Dance Council had just come to fruition. It was either a year or two in, in its, you know, starting its history on the, on the dance community. And I had just started doing West Coast on the scene and I'm getting ready to, cause at that time there was only, um, it was open and advanced or something like that, or intermediate and advanced. Those are the yeah. only two categories or something like that. There was no novice or newcomer. And I was going to go into open or intermediate, whatever it was. And she's like, no, you can't do that. And I was like, why not? She's like, you'll sandbag. She's like, you're too good. You have to go into advanced. Um, and I ended up drawing uh, Greg Avakian and Rick Weston in the <laughs> oh. programs. That's um, awesome. And that was the beginning of the whole World Swing Dance Council, Jack and Jill craziness for me. Yeah. yeah. She so, was really um, good at assessing uh, talent too, Annie. Mm-hmm. Like she'd see you social dance and she'd be like, you're going to be good. And she was really good at that. Understanding people's talent. Yeah. And she was a real diplomat too. She'd be really good at giving mm-hmm. people 
feedback that I didn't want in many ways. Right. Um, sometimes some people still couldn't quite take that, but you know, she was very good. She was a great contestant. Right? She was the one that everybody would complain to. And so she really heard from all sides. Yeah. We would complain to her as professionals too. She'd hear everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You know, I kind of alluded to this in our prior conversations too, Eric, but I just want to say she also heard it from promoters. And yes. As there was everybody. Professional. And, yeah, and you guys were talking about earlier in some other podcast about all those, uh, you know, professionalism one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why she t- started the WSEC and one of the reasons why she was supportive when NASDAQ first formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and NASDAQ's kind of evolved to something very different than what I think when we first started it. Okay. I, I was there also in the first meeting of NASDAQ. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So what's yeah. different? Like, what was the original intent, and how has it deviated? Uh, what can I say here? Uh, Anything. I think it's it's almost... Right. <laughs> <laughs> Be okay, honest. So, so, the truth, so the truth was, um, NASI was started because there were some events, and this is when popping ups, just starting to pop up, that where people didn't get paid. Right, Deborah? Mm-hmm. That's right. Either instructors or contestants or whatever, they would right. find their checks would bounce mm-hmm. or they would not get paid or promises were made that weren't kept. Or even events would be put on and they would collect money and it would get canceled at the last second or it would yep. change venues or these or kind of shady things were happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or people would run away with the money. Mm-hmm. Um, or back then pre-relative placement and pre-WSDC and pre-kind of transparency. Um, we also had events, some fairly big ones, um, where the results were questioned and people just wanted more professionalism all the way around. And so NASD was one way to do that. So in fact, through NASD is where how we kind of started relative placement or got relative placement first adopted through the nation. Um, so this is going to be a standard. Right, mm-hmm. um, because back then we still have things like raw scores, and uh, I don't want to go into the mathematical issues with that right now. But and scoring in the back room and all kinds of shenanigans used to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so NASI was an effort to try to prevent that. And one of the things that had happened the year before was we had an event completely paid nobody, um, and so there was a concern that people would stop traveling to all conventions. Right, because if one convention folded, how could people trust that any other convention is going to be good? And so we were concerned with that as buggy, and so we wanted to create a kind of fund to help um, events out in case one event went down. And so we started NASDI, and so we started NASDI with ten events. Each event contributed eleven hundred dollars, one hundred dollars of which would go to run the event, a thousand dollars which would go into a fund, try to be like an insurance policy in case one of the member events folded for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, and something like that kind of happened later on when Chicago, um, unfortunately was right after nine 11. And mm-hmm. so it, it blew that convention up as it existed back then because nobody could travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it was, that's kind of what NASDAQ was there for to also support showcase and classic competitors. Cause we were trying to recognize that those folks really, really hard with costing and coaching and learning and, all kinds of monetary investment that some people were not seeing back. And 
we just needed a good housekeeping seal of approval for conventions, and that's how Nasty started. Basically, to get again. more professionalism. I mean, to make it more professional, yeah. be taken seriously. Yep. Yeah. Make it more professional. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, so and now it's, it I know it's doing. Well, it seems to be doing. I'm not as involved anymore, obviously, after the first couple of years. Um, but it seems to also be trying to enforce other rules about what what swing is at the showcase and classic level. Mm-hmm. Um, we at first had a more lazy fair attitude toward it. Um, but I know that um, it seems to me that it's also trying to answer what swing is as well. I don't know. J- Jack Hare and I used to have talks about this all the time, um, about what West Coast swing is. So uh, so that it seems to be different that way. It seems to be more of a sanctioning body for teams, I guess. I right. Know. As opposed to supporting events. Yeah. Yeah, supporting events of being good housekeeping seal of approval or, you know, like a, like Yelp for conventions. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I think, there's I, only, what, 11 nasty events and there's how many events now, right? So, like, <laughs> they represent less than, like, a tenth of all the events that are out there. Right. Yeah, and, you know, the WSBC with its events industry is kind of taking over that a little bit, but I'm a little bit concerned about that as well. Why is that? Um, Oh, uh, this is the naked truth. Spit it out. <laughs> this is why we're well, here. Because some of the events that get at WSDC tree, when I look at their stuff on YouTube and I see the attendance or well, what I can see on camera, mm-hmm. they seem pretty small and don't, as far as I can tell, don't quite fulfill the requirements of the WSCC in terms of being a very large event with um, enough judges, enough qualified judges, pardon me, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of lot of things you have to go into to be in, in a WSCC event registry event, and I'm not so sure that uh, some of the things I'm seeing in video at least Represents, um, they should qualify be them as against council. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. World Swing Dance Council and, and, and NASDAQ are two different things, though they're two different beasts. Yes, yes, and so WSCC seems to be kind of taking over some of the function of. Nasty. I don't know. It's 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 all weird. Or the SEC seems to concentrate more on the Jack and Jones, right? Then the uh, Nasty controls concentrates more on routines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think WSCC's kind of stepped into a hole because um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, like the Phoenix Fourth of July used to be like the Jack and Joe Championships, right? correct? Um, but for various various reasons, it's kind of declined, and it's not as of a big deal in terms of the national. Mm-hmm. Jack and Jill scene. So now it seems like it's kind of spread out to all these more major events as who's the best Jack and Jiller out there kind of thing. Right. But, uh, used I, to be Phoenix. I, right. And I, I don't think Phoenix's problem, the decline in why, why it's lost its prestige has anything to do with world swing dance council and everything to do oh, no, with no, no. the fact that who ran it before and then how people were jockeying for position and, recognizing that when you're running an event, it's not about you and your ego. It's about keeping the community and people lost sight of that. And that's why, you know, the, the event went up and down, up and down, up and down. I don't think it's the world swing dance council. Yeah. Right. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, what I was saying about the WC, it kind of stepped into a hole created by that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, but there always needs to be a national organization anyway. Um, and I think sanctioning bodies are important. I just think sanctioning bodies need to recognize that they're not there to control 
events. They're kind of there to, um, we all need rules, right? Rules yeah. are important, yeah. but not to the point where it tells people how to run their events. Right. Well, and, and to your point, Tom, earlier about NASD, there's a difference between um, even rules and just standards of professionalism, mm-hmm. right? Like a code of conduct for how professionals and event directors and events should be run. Um, and I, I agree with you, Tom. I think WSTC and even NASD have gotten more focused on the nitty gritty of like the contests and less on that that bigger picture of like, how are we running events and maintaining a level of quality? Um, which actually I want to ask you because you said you were, you were not in favor of WSDC for exactly, exactly what happened essentially that it created this, this competitive environment. Um, but you know, you were close to Annie. So when that was going down, did you talk to her about, you know, your concerns and did she have a response about, you know, what was the rationale for WSDC? Yeah, so like I was mentioning before, Annie was a person who was talking to all the contestants especially, and so she was the one they would complain to. Mm-hmm. So she got a lot of the, lot of the negative news from people saying, you know, why the F was this person? And why was I dancing with this person? They weren't qualified. And so I think she was really sensitive to that, and so she tried to fix that by creating the categories in Jack and Jill's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always been a kind of a problem. Like when we first started Boogie, that WCC didn't exist. So we, so we, the two that we tried were open and pro. Right, then we right. had to define what pro meant. And right. it wasn't the same across the country. And so she tried to standardize that because as people started to travel more, you wanted to get, be more predictive in terms of what you were getting into yourself into. And uh, also, frankly, to protect the top back then, right? Mm-hmm. So that people like Deborah wouldn't suddenly find someone who just literally, this has happened. Someone who took a lesson, you know, the month before decided to enter a contest. And if you're a pro, depending upon your reputation and your ability to place in contests, that that's a livelihood killer or it could be, or set, set your back. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wanted a fair chance. And so that's kind of how WSDC started. And because she was sensitive to that. And, and although I was kind of I'm against it, I'm okay with it. I'm still okay with it. Am I, a lot of the things I mentioned, things like um, chasing points. Uh, mm-hmm. I know people have gone to smaller events because they have a better chance of placing. Except the World uh, Swing Dance Council has changed how they use the tier system yes. so that, it, that they can avoid that. So yeah. that helps. Yeah. yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. The tier system didn't exist before when we first started. No, in, so yeah, of course people not. Yeah. Right. Which is why we so have a lot a of monsters. Solution, I think, what? <laughs> we have a lot of monsters in the, in the swing dance community because, you know, they were in the, in the system before we had all of these tiers, and now they're in a division that they actually don't belong in. But because they were able to go to small events and acquire points and dance with, you know, less people and get those points, and now they're in a division that they shouldn't be in. Yeah, we still have monsters even with the tiered system. No, I agree with that. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not, you know. It's not foolproof. Uh, foolproof, right. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, it's definitely not, uh, Tom. So yeah. what do you think about, um, cause you know, we have a little bit of a, I'm going to say ageism in, 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 in the West coast swing dance community, uh, right? Okay. So what, <laughs> what do you think about, because we have a master's division and I have a lot of masters that come up to me and they are, they are, they're frustrated because, 
uh, they dance in masters and they also dance in their leveled division, right? And they kind of get passed up uh, for several reasons. One, there are judges that can't look past age, which is terrible and it shouldn't be that way. Um, and two, nobody wants to follow pets and children, right? So I always tell my masters, stay in your, stay in your you know, master's division, c- compete in that. And, you know, do the, the, do the level divisions, but don't allow the level divisions to de- define who you are as a dancer. How would you feel about leveling masters? Some events do that, don't they? Not too many. No. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly new thing I just, I noticed. Um, what do you think um, about that? I'm, I'm haven't really, don't really have an opinion. I think if the event's big enough, but which is, it's what's happening nowadays, so I think mm-hmm. that I'm okay with that. Um, Masters isn't really tracked as any kind of real level thing right now, um, so it doesn't really matter. And even if you, I'm guessing at the leveled Masters events that you decide yourself anyway, kind of, kind of like in the old days. Um, so I'm okay with the way it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I do agree with everything you just said about ageism. There are, yeah. there are some, not all judges no, no. who can't look past the age. I but I also, just as, I also feel that there are judges who can't look past attractiveness. Oh, you're absolutely, you know, totally so. uh, <laughs> correct about that, which is why I'm a firm believer, you know, in, in Jack and Jill's, I don't like it when all the men are judging the men and all the women are judging the women. I think it should be mixed, you know, half and half. It should, right? it and, some, and some events, you know, don't do that. They just have all the men judging the men and all the women judging the women or all the women judging the men and all the men judging the women and I think it should be mixed so that we get both both views mm-hmm. of um, yeah I don't know why they do that too no idea I don't know I, I know that there are some events that the event director dictates who's judging what which I don't agree with and then there are some events where the event director hires their head judge and they're like here are your judges do what you need to do you know put them in the way you want them to judge and you know and all that stuff so I think that's part of a problem too. If you're not going to hire them to do their job, then why then why don't you just do it yourself as the event director? Don't even have a head judge. Why well, have one? But yeah. you, as a master, oh, I want to know how you feel when you're competing. Oh, how do I feel? Yeah. Oh, because it's actually happened to me. <laughs> we're at uh, we're at Swingtacular. Oh, mm-hmm. I'll say this. well, Swingtacular. My draw said to me, "Oh, this is the first time I ever made a finals. Um, <laughs> anything in the masters division." Um, yeah, yeah, it was hilarious, and so I had a good time anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So personally, I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. it's a, to me, as far as I'm concerned, Masters is an open category. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that it's ultimately Jack and Jill's the luck of the draw, mm-hmm. you know. And so I'm okay with having a single category for Masters. All right, so you having your own category? You're saying that's leveled. You're okay with that? Oh no no no! I'm I'm okay with having an open masters category. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. How do you feel about uh, you entering, say, you're in advanced, and you have to dance with someone who's fifteen? How do you feel about that? Fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider myself lucky. <laughs> I I don't I really don't care, but I kind of have a different outlook on contests than some people I think. So you don't feel that you have to change the way that you dance 
when you're dancing with a younger girl? Oh, I switch saying. Yes, I do. And mm. I don't mind. Again, to me, it's the luck of the draw. Okay. Uh, I come from an era in which luck of the draw was the whole thing, right? You might get a champion. You might get a person who's straight off the street. I don't know. So I don't have the expectations. Except during your time and my time, uh, I don't remember kids dancing with adults. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. Junior specifically? Yeah. Yeah, Jim, they didn't dance with us. Yeah, you know, that happened um, a couple, few weeks ago at Swing California where we had, you know, kids under 12 dancing with um, 50-year-olds. And it was okay. It changes the whole dynamic of the dance. It does in a novice category. Um, hmm. How do I feel about it? I guess my honest thing is I feel like it's okay because it is still a Jack and Jill and the fundamental core of Jack and Jill, it is luck of the draw. So, okay, that's kind of where I'm at. So I'm curious, um, you know, for luck of the draw, my understanding is that the master's division was started, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I really have actually never heard it, um, why they started the master's division, but it was so that older, more experienced dancers, or at least just older dancers, didn't have to compete against mm-hmm. younger dancers, right, who maybe they felt were didn't have the the um, physical limitations and or the maturity. Like there was just a, there was a, they wanted a separate space to, to dance and shine, right? Whereas if you compete yep. in regular divisions, you're getting outshined because of ageism and all these other factors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I personally am of the opinion that in honoring the master's division, that if it's supposed to be a space where masters can shine, then, then that's what it should be. Then that's what it should be. And if you feel like you can compete against the younger talent or you want to be in that pool, that you shouldn't also be allowed to do masters. That that should be reserved for people who don't feel comfortable and and don't feel like they can compete in that space. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that, Tom? Or do you feel like it's all just one big pool? Anybody can swim where they want. Uh, that's, that's a double-edged sword. Because then asking for a category in which people of a certain age can dance in exclusively among their peers, defined by age, it's like a golf handicap. You know, some people feel you should play with a handicap or you should get the strokes. And some people feel, no, we should not have golf handicaps. So I, I don't know. I'm, I, I agree with you that it's, it got started because people didn't want to compete with the younger folks. And I, right. feel, like, I feel like if you're a master or even just even sophisticated, and you're dancing with someone who's 15 years or younger, that is a handicapped. You are handicapped. You have to change the way that you dance. You have to change the way that you move because you're dancing with someone who's younger, smaller, um, not as mature as in, in their movement as you are, whether you're leader or follower. Like me as a, as a follower, I have to dance differently with a 15-year-old boy than I do with a... 40 year old man, it's completely different. So I feel that that's a handicap. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, and in the, in the level categories, that's how, I guess that's solved. Kind of. I, I see where you're coming from and I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the good answer is the shaggers have it right. You can't dance with adults until you're 21. 
You have your own categories until you're 21. You'll still get your own everything. We take care of you and all that stuff, but you don't get to dance with the, with the adults until you're 21. And I think it breeds um, better dancers. I think it breeds better humans when that happens. I think it takes away the, um, the lurkers that happen in our dance community. It's very rare that you hear about lurkers in the shag community. It's rare. It doesn't happen because um, the adults don't allow the juniors to dance with the adults, but they also watch over the young adults and they give them their own separate space to grow together as a group. Um, and we don't. Yeah, we just I think throw the, everybody into the pool. The community piece, though, I think is a big part of it. Like mm -hmm. having had limited experience, but some experience with the shag community, like it is... Like if you compare, um, uh, you know, <laughs> the way my parents grew up where moms would sit out on the front stoop and watch all the kids playing, Me too. right? As yep. opposed to now where moms are inside and kids are who knows where, right? right? Like it's a, it's a different, the shag community are all the moms are there or the parents are there watching the kids play. And so mm -hmm. I feel like that's a difference in the community that affects the creepers right. as well. Right. And don't get me wrong. There are events that offer juniors stuff just for you know juniors and they compete with juniors i'm saying it needs to be more prevalent in our community um, we have a lot of instances where we have people doing inappropriate things to and it's usually men to girls it's rarely girls to men or women to men and now we put young girls in a situation where it's not really uh, uh policed or anything like that and and honestly is is it my job uh, to police, you know, three juniors that are in the ballroom without their parents? Do you know what I mean? Right. You know? Yeah. So I think it's I think a huge thing. Yeah, so it is, it is a huge thing, and I agree with you there. And so what I was talking about was my perspective as a contestant in those contests. What would mm -hmm. I do? Mm -hmm. um, I think – you're speaking to that a promoter could do, and I do know that yes, we used to not allow people under age of 18 to enter contests. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I think Boogie might still have that rule, I'm not sure. Um, but that's a question for Andy, yeah, I think it does. So, it speaks to a greater societal thing. I, I hear you, I know that the shag community does a really, really good job, of they taking do, care of its juniors, um, from mm -hmm. what I can see, yeah. Not only that, but they also do a good job of connecting the, the juniors and the adults in a really, um, in a way that preserves the traditional parts of shag. That's a family thing. This is what we do as a family together all the time that we seem to lack. Right. It's rare in West Coast thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, in, in so many ways, the shag community is healthier, I got to say. Agreed. And healthier. at the same time, y'all spoken. Y'all smoke and drink too. <laughs> no, they do. That, no, that's a true statement. They definitely do. But yeah. they're not there when they're doing that. The juniors are not around. They're not in the ballroom. They're not allowed in the ballroom after a certain time. And you know, they they, they allow them a, a separate space. They give them either a separate ballroom or they all hang out in the rooms upstairs, hanging out um, with each other. Uh, they 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 ha they have a yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Uh, mentality that respect their elders uh, where ours is a yeah. little different it's not yes. the same. so tom you just mentioned like our community is not as healthy and i know you and i have talked about 
the competitiveness of the scene, um, ageism and in social dancing are just uh, stratification, diverse like um, segmentation of our social scenes. I'm curious um, to hear your take on it, both personally and kind of with your with your psychology lens on <laughs> of what you're seeing happening in our community right now. Um, so, so dance is an emotionally charged activity because it has to do with relationships um, because there's a partner involved. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're doing solo dance, in which case it's all about you, so it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, the West Coast Swing is a social activity. There is a partner involved. So it's inherently an emotional activity. And anything that involves emotions is really um, personally charged. So I used to have, um, I have to admit, because I was a former, believe it or not, champion level dancer um, before I got old and before everybody got so much better now, um, have a kind of sense of idea of privilege that I could dance with anybody. I don't have that anymore because I realized that really what it is, is it's my own um, expectations around uh not privilege, what's the opposite of privilege? What's that word? Entitlement. Entitlement, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And I realize that this is an entitlement that I brought on to, to the scene by myself. And, you know, and so when consent was kind of bubbling up as, as an idea in the dance scene, you know, it's fairly new, like in the last three to five years. Mm-hmm. Consent can only exist when we withhold our entitlements to ourselves. And that's when it gets, when it's healthy. Right. Just because someone asks someone to dance doesn't mean that they're going to say yes. And it's okay with me if they say no, no. because I don't feel entitled to dance with them. Mm-hmm. And this is an issue that's existed for ever since the dawn of time when we had people who were better dancers than others. And it's the same is true whether you play tennis or whatever, right? You still have to get a partner, blah, blah, blah. Everybody wants to dance or play tennis with the better people um, because that's how you get better. Um, but when we expect that, or when we feel like we're entitled to that, that's when bad feelings happen. And that's kind of true of ageism, you know? And there are, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I kind of avoid asking beautiful young women to dance mm-hmm. because I don't want to be perceived as one of the people that Dara was just talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I, generally speaking, don't ask those people to dance unless I know them in some way or they're a friend of a friend or whatever. Um, if they, ask, if they ask me to dance, I'm super happy and I will happily dance with them. Um, but I generally don't do that because I don't have the sense of entitlement that anybody has to say yes to me. So then let me ask you this, because when I first came into the swing community, um, yeah. the masters were, were like it. Like I couldn't wait to dance with all the masters. Um, and I had the utmost respect for them. And obviously, when I came into the swing community, I was in my you know early twenties. I was twenty four, twenty five. Um, so I was already a a, a woman, right? Um, but th- at never there was never a point during when I came into the swing community and moving forward did I ever feel um, that creepy old man syndrome that I feel is in the community now. Yeah. And I think what bred that is because we've brought so many younger people into the community, which is a great thing, but so many younger people into the community um, to dance with so much older people, you know, 12 and, and, and 50 plus is a huge gap. 
is a huge gap, um, right? So yeah. I think what's happened is it, it's what's bred that is that, that we've never had that moment of, you know, a, like masters are important and these are the people that started the dance. Some, it's got lost in translation in some way in so, at some point. I don't know when it happened, but it's like the masters kind of got lost in the shuffle and, and they were the people that were bringing the dance and moving the dance forward and exposing all of us to like what the good moves were and how to, and what the good technique was and what the good music was. So wh what do you think happened? Where was the breakdown? Hmm. That's, that's an interesting question. You know, um, yeah, you're right. I, I completely agree with you. It's great that the dance average age of the dance is getting younger. That's wonderful. Yes, great. Um, cause, uh, as as I look back on all the videos I've been posted of me on YouTube, I go, holy shit, I used to move so much faster back then. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I used to be so much more physically. I was able to do quads, quadruple turns, and I can't do those anymore. You know, as we age, we slow down. We, we're just, our physical abilities just aren't there if we're not keeping shape, like, unlike like someone like Deborah or, or Robert Royston, right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, what happened, I, I actually think, I've, I've been thinking about this. I actually think um, younger people do hang out with each other and that's a good thing. Um, so it's up to me to deal with what I, what could be perceived as ageism. Um, and I think sometimes masters will do the opposite also happens, right? Where masters people go, why don't these young kids dance with blah, blah, or 20 year olds. Right. Um, going back to your other question, I think because we used to learn at the feet of the masters back then, we didn't have the internet. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember like to steal a move from Mario, I used to sit there and watch him like a hawk for like a half an hour, mm -hmm. see him do it once and try to memorize what the hell happened and run aside to my partner and try to figure out okay, how did that work? Um, and so there was a more of a personal connection between mm -hmm. the people who were the, the masters of the dance. And there wasn't so much of a, of a uh, trophy mentality. I mean, I, I know it existed back then, but it seems kind of worse now where pros are kind of hunted down. <laughs> which is kind of too bad. Um, and so I think it makes part them... Of that, part of that is, is, is there's, there's many reasons why pros are hunted down. Social dancing has started later in history. Social dancing used to start all the time at like 10, 11 o'clock. Now sometimes it doesn't start till 1, 2 o'clock, you know, in the morning. So pros want to go upstairs, freshen up, hang out with each other, blah, blah, blah. So that's a different, that's a, that's a completely um, different thing. But I think... Like I, I put this whole post on the masters uh, Facebook page, you know, because I, like I said, there's a lot of masters that I teach here locally in Denver that complain that the younger people don't dance with them or they roll their eyes at them and they, and they, they um, you know, they're just, they're just not respectful to them. Mm. And I, and I tried to explain to the masters, they spend so much time trying to dance with the younger people and not cultivating their relationships with each other, which is why when they draw each other in masters, they're terrible. Because they don't build relationships. <laughs> you know, you, you, we have to learn how to dance with everybody, but if we can't dance with our peers, I mean, then what do we have? And, and they don't show a united front. And that's what masters used to do. They used to be this really large, cohesive group that like, I would be like, oh my God, I want to go dance with all of them. Does that make sense? That, that's really, yeah, totally makes sense. That's really kind of tragically funny. 
Um, because I, see, I know exactly what you mean. You're right. Masters used to be this group where they would kind of run to each other conventions. They would all dance with each other. Yes. Um, but you're, and you know what? I hate to say this, but I think it's mostly driven by um, that lurker dude that you're talking about. There's some of that mentality. There is a masculinity with, uh, frankly, with older males, some older males, not all, just mm-hmm. that poisons the well. Um, cause I do think there are some guys who only dance with younger people. Um, uh, I don't know. So I've been accused of that. Um, I want hmm. us to be, I want the dance community <laughs> to have, to have yeah. our, 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 our separate little pockets, meaning our, our, each of us have our, our own little peer group, right? Like juniors have their peer group and masters have their, I want, that's important. And I still want us to all, you know, interact with each other. I feel that everyone's very, I, I, me, me, very separate. Yeah. There's yeah. no cohesive. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Well, and that sense of entitlement is an individual uh, thing, right? Right. Like it's, yes. I should be able to dance with all these people. And I'm, Tom and I have talked about this before, the entitlement and, and how it does translate to masters feeling like they should be able to dance with everybody and young people should be able to dance with, you know, everybody has it. It's not the, the entitlement. I feel like generally speaking, when we talk about society, we talk about the younger generation being the entitled one, mm-hmm. but I feel like I see it even in masters. Um, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, so there was a conversation that happened several months ago about an, an older woman, a friend of mine who posted online about asking, uh, advanced all, or all stars to dance and getting turned down. And, um, while I, this gets into kind of a bigger picture of like, what is the responsibility of more experienced dancers as leaders in our community to dance with people and foster a sense of community, but also recognizing that they are human beings who probably, like you said, Deborah, want to hang out with their peer group sure. and go to an event to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. We talked about it with um, Robert when we talked about how like the pros used to just go and hang out and now they have to like be on. And so, so the, the role of older or sorry, not older, more experienced dancers or higher level dancers. But I felt like there's, there's also a note of, well, if I ask these people to dance, they should dance with me. Like they shouldn't turn me down. Um, and to me, while maybe that wasn't her intent, um, I feel like I get that sense from others that even masters who go to ask the pros or all stars to dance and feel like they shouldn't turn me down that, that because they're leaders in our community, they have to say yes. And that to me is a, a shade of entitlement. Right. It may not be the same thing as, as what's happening with other people. Right. But anyway, I'm, I wonder, um, I think it was really interesting, Tom, when you talked about how we saw the, the, um, the masters as masters, right? Like they were, they were these pros who we were to learn from, right? There were these great dancers and you had to sit and you either had to study with them in person or watch them to learn from them. Um, I'm curious what you, what else you think has led to this sense of entitlement um, or the shift um, that, you know, masters are no longer respected the way they are. And we all think that we have a right to dance with anybody and everybody. Um, um, Two separate questions. I think one is something that Deborah hit on earlier. It is become more of a me culture. Um, 
even worse than we first saw it back in the 70s, right? right. Mm-hmm. In the 60s, it'd be flower power, everybody's together, all that stuff. The 70s, the kind of the me thing started happening. And I think the uh, the proliferation of materialness as and attractiveness as the thing that's desired by everybody drove this kind of individualistic um, cultural change that's happened all across the U.S. in every aspect. And it's not just a dance thing. It's a right. cultural thing. Sure, sure. And it's being expressed. It is expressed in dance. And like we just talked about, I think dance is an emotional investment that you make. Right. And so you're going to get hurt if things don't happen the way you think it should. And you get hurt not even in the rational way, but in emotional way, which actually hurts more than rational ways. Um, that's one. In terms of the in terms of respect for the elders, things, um, it's it's okay. So the people who used to win the open and those kinds of things, frankly, were older folks. They were the thirties and forty year olds. They right. were Phil Trout and Michelle Trucade and Mario and um, Francis and all those other other folks. Now they're frankly the younger people who came up with us. Like I remember right. seeing Jordan. I danced with Sarah, Sarah when she was like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and Melissa and Ruth used to take money from me at the metronome along mm-hmm. with RJ. They were the right. front door kids that would take money. Right. You know, and then just in this a lot longer and they've gotten far more skilled, extremely talented. They work super hard at it. And so the representative model that we see of what looks great has gotten younger, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when we see those models being younger, we tend to say, oh, those are the great people and not, not the Lloyd Lickers or the Lowell Gossers or the Jack Carries of the world or the Annie Hershes. It's going to be shift in what we think is, is good as a community. And so, unfortunately, I think that leaves some people behind. Like, um, I truly, truly respect um, Kelly Casanova, right? She's mm-hmm. one of the most awesomest people in the world. Um, but I don't think she gets the respect that she deserves. Mm-hmm. Or people like, you know, Cordoba or, or Deborah Seike. I think Seike, Deborah's had to work really hard to keep it up. I, I think there are other do. folks. Yeah, and, and there are people who don't know about Keldy, right? Mm-hmm. And it blows me away that there's people who don't really know about that. Well, I think um, part of the problem is, is that uh, myself as well, we're pre-YouTube generation, right? Not that our videos aren't up on YouTube now. They finally have come up on YouTube. Um, but it's Thank also, you, Sonny Azar. Yeah, right, right. exactly. Um, but also it's, part, it's also our job, you know, as professionals to, you know, educate um, the community and make people understand, you know, the progression of, you know, where it started and where it's been, where it's going and, um, and all those things. And, and I think too, uh, it's important for you. It's like for me, I, I'm older than a lot of the people in Champions Division, but I make sure that I, my dancing stays relevant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference between some other, you know, people that were professionals. They don't keep their dance relevant. I think that's a, a really important point because, I mean, I, I mentioned City Swing. Like, I'm the old guy. So <laughs> right. I work with like, you know, right out of college mm-hmm. um, and even college kids from Berkeley. Um, or Stanford, and you know they they do watch dancing on YouTube, um, but they they watch what's current. And you know, Deborah, we've talked about this: how the dance has it has advanced in quality of movement, of and course. it's more athletic, and yes. there's there's more physical feats being done in the dance. Yes, and yep. 
while while that's great, right? There is also like the spirit and essence of swing, which is great. And that's what was really being showcased, you know, 20, 30 years ago it was more of that, like just the essence of swing. It was a lot of partnered musicality and footwork and, and other things that weren't as showy. It wasn't about how you articulate your body movement. It was about how you dance to the music with that partner in a different way. And I see a lot of the younger generation, um, I do my best to like throw out names and, and show them. I need to do a better job, honestly, of, mm-hmm. of showing them videos. We're doing a video viewing party next weekend <laughs> and I'm excited awesome. to like show them, mm-hmm. you know, some of these older videos. And so they're familiar with these names, but they will see people who were greats, right. Mm-hmm. Who maybe aren't on the scene anymore and they're just not impressed with the dancing. And, and granted when they get more experienced in this dance, um, and we've talked about this as well, but just as people get more experience in the dance, I think they have a greater appreciation for what was being done. Yeah, and they'll go back and look and see it. But like, I've had students where like, gosh, like even, you know, even some of the existing pros who aren't as showy or athletic, and they're like, yeah, well, I don't know, they just don't really do much. And I'm like, (laughs) but what they're doing is is amazing, right? Right. I think... um, YouTube, I, I think part of it is it pushing the dance, right? In a way that if people don't keep up with, if they don't stay relevant, if they don't advance their dancing, it looks quote unquote old, right? Or out of date. And the other is I think YouTube, which showcases the more extremes of our dance, right? Nobody puts up their their average social dance and nobody puts up their crappy dancing. They put up like the giant routines and and all the amazing physical feats that we well, see in the hands and that, that skews people. But isn't it important to understand that amazing physical feats usually are done by people that are younger, right? Yes. But in that's general. what I mean. It's okay. like setting the bar of like right. people. But the point this. is, is that eventually those people that are younger become older. <laughs> yes. And, and what we're doing, we're slowly like, you know, not creating a place for the people that become older. We mm-hmm. need those people. Right. They're part of our history. They have disposable yeah. income. It's important for them to have a place to, to go and to be appreciated and, and to still allow them to work, you know, on their dancing and maybe not have to pull a rabbit out of their ass, but they still become better dancers. I feel like I'm a better dancer now than I was, you know, 10 years ago and I'm older now, mm-hmm. but I, but I don't get appreciated as much now. Do you think that other masters and this is to both of you, that other masters, dancers continue to work on their dancing? I think there are some that do and some that mm-hmm. don't. Right? That's always the yeah. case. I, I say that because yeah. I feel like I know some masters, some who work at their dancing, others who don't. And mm-hmm. if they came from the era of whatever, 10, 20 years ago, when masters were just automatically respected for their knowledge, experience, and talent... I wonder how many of them are not happy with the fact that the dance has skewed younger and the fact that they have less respect. I think a lot of them are not happy about it. But yes, but also don't feel like they should have to work harder to earn that respect, that they should just be given to them. I don't think the masters feel a sense of entitlement because I've, listen, I've spoken to so many masters, which is why I posted that thing on, on the master's Facebook page. Mm -hmm. I feel like masters 
feel like they're not important and they are important. Absolutely. They're important. They're just important. They're important humans. Forget about the dancing part. They're important because they're older. They're elders. They have knowledge. They can, you know, they can build relationships and, and, and they can mentor uh, people, not just in dancing, but in life. We mm -hmm. need them. And we keep kind of, I feel like we keep inching them out. So, and, and then they, they starve for connection and, and respect. So they, they go to the younger people in hopes that they'll get it, you know, from them, which is why I, I said to them, I said, build your group, be, be more cohesive. People love to be part of groups, learn how to dance together, show that you're in the ballroom together and people will gravitate towards you. They'll start, like, start dancing with each other. So people watch you and, and say, oh, what are they doing? I, so they, they feel that they're unimportant, so they, they act like they're not important, but then try to be important by dancing with younger people. It's mm. like reverse psychology. It just doesn't work. You're not, you're not going about it the right way. What do you think, Tom Paterna? <laughs> so, uh, so that's really interesting. Um, I think the critical – oh, gosh, this, this is really loaded. So I do agree with Eric. I think, frankly, a lot of the older masters level people don't work at it, at least not locally here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be perfectly frank with you. It, 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 so they kind of, their dancing is kind of stagnant, and then not just in terms of updated versus old, right? right. I, I, I'm talking about just in terms of the physical skills. Can they do a double on time and finish on the mm -hmm. count, right? Even that, as we... As our physical age goes goes further and limits us in terms of certain things we can do, or makes it harder. I think there are certain things you can do to to work at it to to um, to overcome that stuff. Like I do certain things now that I didn't used to do, and I right. do them slower. I'm more conscious of body flow. I'm more conscious of style and where my arm is, etc. Mm -hmm. So I still work at it. I just can't do some of the things, but I still work at the dance. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the masters around the Bay Area, anyway, don't as much. Mm -hmm. Or they'll take the odd lesson here or there and think that that's going to make him better. And mm -hmm. it's not. Um, talent only goes so far. And I think talent helps when you're younger. It doesn't help you when you're, as much when you're older because mm -hmm. your physical limitations just take over that. And now I kind of go back to earlier, something I, I flashed on me. Speaking of masters and legends, the other day I, got a, I went to the California Swing Dance Hall of Fame dance. I got a chance to dance with Marianne Nunez four times in one night. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's totally amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, because nobody was dancing with her. Um, so I was super lucky. But I've seen Marianne sit by herself <laughs> at conventions. I have too. Yeah. I mean, and, I've been fortunate to get dances with her. What was always great about Marianne is that she always did sit on the edge of the dance floor away from all the other pros. Like she would sit yeah. there. But yeah, why? why yeah. How, how is that? Like, wouldn't everybody be scrambling? They want to dance with all the other pros. Why would they want to dance with Marianne? Yeah. So, uh, actually, this happened a couple of years ago. Oh, now the people who are up and coming, who's now, he's advanced now. I said, go dance with Marianne. She's sitting by herself. Mm -hmm. And he said, kind of what you said, right? Well, you know, she's really great, but I don't do what she does. And I'm not going to dance with her. I said, well, that's well the listen, so I to why her. don't you learn to do what she does? You won't know unless you dance with her. Yeah. This is why I'm sorry, but I feel like like um, uh, Jordan and Todd, Kyle and Sarah, myself, um, we have the ability to 
jump between generations in our dance. Mm-hmm. Whereas the generation that's up and coming now, they have, they have zero capability of doing that. They, they only d- dance one way, one way. Whereas we yeah. can adjust and adapt according to style of dancer, uh, genre of music, tempo, all of those things. And part of that is because we danced with everyone, mm-hmm. right? We assimilated yeah. with, with everyone differently. Um, and we and we weren't affected by, uh, like, y- you know, YouTube and all that. And I'm, sad, I'm not saying that YouTube is a bad thing because it brought the dance to the masses. This is why the dance is so large now. That's one of the reasons. Besides specific professionals who have been, you know, traveled overseas like 10 years ago, starting to get the word, you know, overseas. But, geez, I don't do what she does. Well, how are you going to know if you don't dance with her? How could you not want to know? Don't you want to feel what it feels like to dance with someone like Marianne Nunez? What it feels like to be at the other end of her hand? Right. Like it's magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. And I think... And, and I wonder at 10%. Yeah, and there's... Um, you know, it kind of gets back to what I was asking you about before, Tom, of like segmentation and stratification that when you were saying earlier, everybody, everybody always wants to dance with somebody better. Like that's Mm -hmm. a given. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we either chase those dancers or we stick with our peers. And I agree with you, Deborah. I think there people um, in general have a narrower, narrower skill set because they're dancing either to limited music or with limited partners. Um, or, and this is something else that I'm, I'm kind of curious about because I feel like now that, you know, you were saying Tom before there were a limited number of events. And so if you wanted to dance, you had to travel. And now there are so many events that I feel like people don't leave their region as much. And I'm curious to see if regionalism is also going to limit people's way of dancing. Yes, because people in the Midwest dance dance differently than the people on the East Coast who dance differently than people on the the West West Coast. Coast. And and that is the the difference too. I I came from the East Coast, except I knew how to dance with the people on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And the West Coast people knew how to dance with people on the East Coast. We, we, um, We learned how to assimilate and interact with one another because we wanted to. And now I feel like people want to be separate. Well, how much do you think is, how much do you both think that's due to the increasing competitiveness, this whole point system? And now there's, because I know I've had some of my students, if they don't want to compete, I don't push them to compete, right? Do what you want to do. I just want you to be happy and, and, you know, Enjoy. Not, not be a threat to somebody else on the dance floor. I right. want you to be happy and a good partner and, and have a good experience yourself and have your partner have a good experience. But I've had students who say, well, I feel like I need to compete. And I say, why? They say, because if I don't compete, people don't dance with me. Right? Like this is a real phenomenon happening it is. that people, you know, watch people in competition decide who they're going to dance with. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, how much yeah. of that phenomenon of, the stratification by competition level do you think is affecting the segmentation and, and all the other effects that are happening? I think a lot, you know, you just put, you just brought something to my brain. I think that's why I believe that we have three different skill sets. We have the social dance skill set, the Jack and Jones strictly swing skill set and the classic and showcase 
skill set. And I feel that there's a lot of people who focus on the Jack and Jill and Strictly Swing skill set, which is part of our social dance, but it's competitive. So the social dancing is not the same and they mm-hmm. can't social dance with everyone else because yeah. they focus too much on the competition. Yeah. Kyle and Sarah talk a lot about how they've worked on, on all three. <laughs> like all right. the, they talk about it exactly the way they talk about social competitive and performance or like routines. It's all different. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? Yeah. Like, I, I agree. Like locally we had a, we had one of my best friends, unfortunately he's passed away, Joe Ho, mm-hmm. um, who was incredibly popular and he was like, Super popular, king of social dance. Yep. Does he look good in Jack and Jill? No, <laughs> not at all. But was he busy all night at a social dance? Heck yes, yes. Um, because all the followers loved him. Um, and I'm sure that that person exists everywhere, both leaders and followers. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, one of my favorite followers is Chris Love, mm-hmm. who doesn't show well, and who I know gets ignored by people. Um, but gosh, she's a great follower. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, there's those different. Diff- skill sets and that there are people <laughs> who are great routine dancers and who are known for being great to routine dancers but you would not dance with socially because they are absolutely or, not exactly right or, or want to draw them in a jack and jill terrible jack right. and jill. yeah <laughs> you say no not definitely not <laughs> i i totally agree with that yeah. so tom as yeah. somebody who is um has seen all of these changes um and I think you're very thoughtful about community in general. I'm wondering what you, what do you see that's either worked or what would you advise community leaders or instructors or whomever to do to help keep our dancing more cohesive, to keep people dancing with everybody, to keep building all of their skill sets, not just focused on competition. Oh, it's a big question, but I know we've talked about like sort of counteracting the competitive nature of our scene and, and fostering more cohesion in our communities. So I I think if you're talking specifically about leaders or certain people who are seen as leaders or thought leaders in the community, I think modeling is a really good one. Mm -hmm. Um, Leaders are looked at, you know, if you're, if you're, a better dance for your running place. Frankly, remember that you're always being looked at. People mm-hmm. are always looking at you. So be that person you want your community to be. Kind of like the Gandhi thing, right? Uh, yeah. Be the change you want to see in the world. Um, so if you want your community to be more social, then you as a community leader have to be more social. Right. Um, I see certain people do that really well. Um, certain pros do that really well. Some pros don't do that well at all. Right. Um, like Deborah, actually, I saw her during. Um, I didn't go to Boogie as much, as she, but last year's Boogie, I saw her in the social dance floor all the time, which was mm-hmm. you know cool. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that being true of everybody out there. And she dances with pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. And when she has a dance card, oh, remember her dance card. Those kinds of things, rather than those people who, and I know there are community leaders who seem to hide, which mm-hmm. always struck me as weird because that's like saying I'm. That emphasizes the leadership and not being part of the community, which kind of right. bugs me. Uh, right. um, and I think that creates that, that example of separateness permeates community. So as people get better, then they start separating themselves out from the beer who they used to dance with or who's not as good as they are or whatever. Um, and okay, naked truth. 
I'm, I don't like the MCS's two rooms. I'm, I told you that before. I, know. I don't either. Um, I said thank you, Deborah. Yeah, I don't either. I've said that before. But it's, it's, yeah. it's, that's only because it's um, architecturally that's the way it is. Right. Not for any yes. other reason. Yeah. Well, because, and it's, yes. this was a decision for me as, as the event promoter, you know, the guy who runs the place. Of, and this is a challenge that I think we as community leaders face, right? is we're dealing with a community that right now is segmented, right? People want to come out, especially higher level dancers. They want to dance with their peers. And right, like you said, everybody wants to dance with better dancers. So I had this, well, one, I had everybody packed in the front room and my dance just started getting too big. So we needed more space. And like you said, Deborah, it's just that front room is separate. It's separated by a small room. Right. But my higher level dancers, one, even if they wanted to dance with low, lower level dancers, they didn't have the room to. So they were complaining to me about floor craft, which I totally get because I was out there dancing too and getting kicked or stepped on or bumping into people. Um, and so I had a d- choice, like Sophie's choice of, do I open the front room and right. let the advanced dancers in where they're going to have more room and be happy, but also risks separation? Mm-hmm. Or do I keep everybody in the same room and now it's overcrowded and they don't come? And for me, part of that decision was that the value of having higher level dancers, one, one fits in with my mission of making it a place that everybody of every skill level wants to dance. Mm -hmm. And two, I think that's an important part of having, of keeping the community growing is that newer dancers see the better dancers and hopefully have the opportunity to dance with them. Right. So when I ask you the question of like, how do we reduce the segmentation? I totally agree with you on the, on the physical space. Like I think physical space matters. And yes, I, I fully recognize that it has changed the dynamic. And that's why I'm trying other things. Like we just started this mentorship program where we pair more experienced dancers with newer dancers and they're loving it. At least the mentees are loving it. Um, mm-hmm. Speak to me because they're like, Oh, I feel more comfortable dancing with these people. And I know more people like for me, so much is about, um, if we're going to have physical separation and even if we don't have physical separation, we still need to do more as community leaders. Modeling I agree is hundred percent important because you as a community leader set the culture and the norms for your community, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Um, But I also feel like there are things we can do as community leaders that help foster more relationships and keep the network between lower level dancers and higher level dancers or just different groups who don't mingle. Um, and so like the mentorship program is one thing we're trying, right? Um, That's great. That's great. But I, I agree with you. Like, I think people do need to think about physical space. You know, if events have two ballrooms, who's ending up in the other ballroom, right? Mm-hmm. So like Boogie did the blues room, which is great. And they had Charlotte and actually the pros went in there, but everybody else was hanging out in the ballroom, right? right. So <laughs> like, but when you do that blues room, like, what do you think is going to happen when you do a blues room? Who do you think is going to go in that room? Of course, it was skewed older, right? It happened to also be skewed towards champions, which was awesome. But like, I think, it's, I think it was just skewed towards older because of the name of the room. I think it needs to be changed to like the, I the full room or something like that. Because I don't know why people connotate blues with older. And no, there's still new blues music that comes out now. <laughs> I agree with you. No, but I don't mean older in terms of time, but there's... But the younger generation doesn't connect unfortunately, to it. Yeah, they don't connect to it. They don't hear it enough. And if you give them a choice between Charlotte Bott, 
who's a great DJ, but is going to play quote unquote older music like soul and blues or that feel of music, or you're going to put Ruby and John in the main ballroom playing stuff that's more familiar to them. Where do you think people are going to go? You know what I mean? Like, and not to say that that was a bad move on Boogie's part, but if we're talking about physical space and how to get people to mingle, um, I think that's a consideration. Well, I think, but the, but on the flip side of it, what 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 made it good was is is it gave a space to people who consistently are ignored a place mm-hmm. to be cohesive together in the blues room. Absolutely. So I think yeah. it worked well for that. Yeah, to your point, like to get the masters to mingle more together, if that's what which they're, they which they did, and yeah. a lot of the pros um, were were in there. So I think for that reason, it it, it worked out well. But yes, it does. Um, separate a little bit so it's hard it's hard it is and that's it's something (laughs) i grapple with i mean i talk to tom almost like weekly at least monthly about this and how i'm i'm trying as the community grows and they're you know when a community is small everybody knows each other right and it's it's um we're we're bound by that shared experience we're Mm -hmm. all in the same room we're all it doesn't matter there's there's only so many people to dance with but as communities grow and certainly when we're talking like a national scene um, you, you find, and we talked about this in the first episode, you find your place, you find your niche, you find your people and you want to stay there and, or, you know, everybody looks up, not down. Um, so I feel like it's a challenge to keep people together when we are facing things like differences in skill level differences in style of dance. So like the quote unquote older style versus how it's being done now. Um, when we have competitiveness and entitlement, right? Like there's all these forces, I think, and to some extent our natural inclination to just want to hang out with those we like or are similar to or familiar with, right? Like there's just kind of that natural, I don't know you, so I don't know if I want to dance with you or hang out with you. And it's something that I, as a community leader, but I know others have struggled with. And it's, of course, something that's affecting people's experience in the community at all levels. So they go to an event and they don't have access to pros or they don't feel like they have the opportunity to dance with high level dancers or they're being judged because they're a lower level dancer or they're old or, you know, like there's so many reasons to separate people. And like Deborah was saying, everybody's important. We're all, we're all in this to have a good time and dance with other people. And the other thing I think is really interesting about what you brought up, Deborah, is that people, I don't think people realize that by taking this like more narrow focus that they're limiting their own growth. Sure. Right. To not be able to dance with a Marianne Nunez. Like you, you haven't, you lived haven't yet. worked hard enough. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you haven't it. lived. You haven't lived till you dance with Marianne Nunez. Yeah. I mean, come on. I tell everybody like in order to become really good, it, I'll just you'll just use West Coast Swing. You have to dance to, with people below you, equal to you, and above you, mm-hmm. so that you 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 gain different skill sets by dancing with people below you, equal to you, and and above you. Um, obviously, dancing with people that are at your level or 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 above you um, pushes you, but you mm-hmm. don't have the other skill set. Just like the the younger generation doesn't know how to dance. With the Marianne New Year's, are you kidding me? You haven't lived yet right. until you've learned how to dance with the Marianne New Year's or say with a, uh, a Jack Carey or a, a Mario Rabal. Like, I couldn't wait. Like, Jack Carey was one of my favorites. I would like 
sit on the edge of the floor and I'd be like waiting for him, waiting for him. And I'd be like, all right, Jack, come on. And I, we'd do like four dances in a row. And I learned so much just by dancing with him, his feel for the dance and how he'd set up the follower and he's just his essence. Like, like he we would do four push breaks in a row and I'd be like, Oh my God, these are the best push breaks ever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I don't understand why. I don't know if it's partially our problem because we don't feature them more. Or we don't talk about them um, enough. And, and then they end up pulling away. Cause I will tell you, there are times I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I don't even want to do this West coast swing thing anymore. I'm so tired. I'm tired of, not feeling uh, respected or important or uh, wanted or, you know, like I dance at a dance competition and good dancing doesn't, doesn't get rewarded. It's the craziness that's, mm-hmm. that's happening. And I, I never will sacrifice how I feel about the dance in order to get a specific outcome. And it's sad that, you know, that doesn't get rewarded. So it's like, so, so what's, so what do I do? Do I, change the way I dance to get rewarded or do I stay true to who I am to get rewarded? It's well, and the, the bigger question uh, is, do you need the rewards? Right. Go ahead, Tom. As, as a budding psychologist, I would say you would get more rewards consistently by being true to who you are. Correct. And that's what I, 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 I think I'm really good at being true to yeah, myself. I think so. Um, but th- you know, it, it doesn't feel good when you work so hard to be the type of dancer that you are and it doesn't get recognized. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally do. Uh, that, that sucks. Mm-hmm. And, and wh- one thing that's happening coming back though, is events like trilogy. Yeah. Like, that was great. Like, that was great. And the, the postings of these, um, of the old videos mm-hmm. and even, Small way things like Swing California and Swasilicious that are that are trying to expand people's definition of what good dancing overall mm-hmm. can be. So I actually am hopeful. I, I wasn't as hopeful last year this time, to be perfectly mm-hmm. frank. Um, and like what Deborah was saying, I, I try to pride myself on being able to dance different styles because I can dance to fast blues. I can dance to slow lyrical, and I, mm-hmm. that's to me that's my thing, right? That's mm-hmm. that's my brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's coming back. I'm, I have hope for that. And I think the funny thing is, like we all said, as people get better, they notice suddenly, wow, holy shit, I should be doing this footwork stuff and be able to do right. you know, right. quads and trills and things like that. So I think people do come to that. Um, so I'm hopeful, I guess. And if there was anything that I would say for, for other people out there is to kind of think about the whole entitlement thing and, mm. and just realize that entitlement creates unhappiness correct um if you feel with something it's very it's a buddhist thing right um because mm-hmm. because that because entitlement also takes away from the serendipity of discovery in the moment so like i'm constantly surprised when a follower asks me to dance and they go can we dance i said wow really cool i'm like yay and it makes me happy instead of me sitting there thinking god i wish somebody asked me to dance um but doesn't also the, the sense of entitlement um, stop people from learning how to cultivate relationships because they're entitled to it mm. instead of cultivating a relationship yes. with some, you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, relationships yeah. are really important. I, I, I yeah. Yes, they are. Whether, whether, you know, whether it's a professional uh, relationship or a romantic relationship or, or a friend 
relationship. I feel like everyone um, is important, and, and the more we connect, the better, the better things um, are. This is why, you know, like you and I, uh, Tom, we know each other a long time, and we try really hard when we're at events to find a way either to connect to go out to dinner or to sit down and talk for a little bit or to have a social dance because we're not just people that dance. We're people who actually generally have an affinity for one another. That's what we need more of, I think, in the community. That's what we lack. And how do we make that happen? Um, I think it's happening. I think everybody has that. Everybody has their own tribe. Um, and I think mm-hmm. people hang out with each other in the way they want to. Um, I think it's the expectation of that other things should happen makes you unhappy. And if once we hold that back, so when I do get a chance to see you or I get a chance to have dinner with you or social events or sit down and talk to you about what's going on in your life, right. it makes it so much happier for me. And me too. You know, I know what's going on. Yeah. And me too. Because yeah. so, it also means that someone feels that I'm important, but not just because of my dancing, but like I'm important. Like life is yeah, important. As a human. Right, as a human. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, so, yeah, so that's always come. It's this overarching thing about the meanness, mm-hmm. me or I, in society that's happening in Western culture. Um, fights against that. So, gosh, I don't know. I think we just have to continue to work at it. And and let's let's give the younger people a chance. You know, they haven't been around as long. So they Listen, we're not not giving them a chance at all. <laughs> No, they 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 run the community. They do. Yeah, so it's not that we're and not. They make it great. Dance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I just think that we they need to just be a little bit more inclusive and more cohesive and less me 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 and all that stuff. And I think to that point, our community leaders. I feel this responsibility anyway, both as a community leader and as a teacher, need to help socialize and indoctrinate and prepare new dancers or even existing dancers, um, you know, to instill those values of, you know, we're not just in this to dance, we're in it to meet people and connect with people and respect people. We're building better humans. Right. And, and, you know, I agree a hundred percent with you, Tom, like I, the the more I live and learn, but also um, study or take an organization development angle, the more I realize that, that frustration and disappointment and conflict all come from misalignment of expectations. Yeah. Right. And helping people, whether they're just social dancers coming into the community, whether they're existing dancers um, who need to understand uh, their role in the community or whether they're competitors, like we need to think about not just entitlement, but what are our expectations? What are we in this for? How to your point, Deborah, do we be true to ourselves? Right. And, get what we want out of this community without chasing after something that either we're not going to get, or we're not going to get frequently enough to be happy. <laughs> right? Like we all come into this dance. I see the same arc over and over. People come into the dance cause they love dancing mm-hmm. and they like meet friends and then, then things change. Right now they want more and they want things that are more to your point, Tom, more like external and less driven about what, what, really made them happy in the first place about dancing. The, the low expectations of, I'm just going to go and dance with people and I'm going to have a good time. And I'm going to meet some people. And I'm going to have some conversations. Now they want more. And they develop that and sense I, of entitlement. And, and, and I don't think it's wrong to want more. I think it's important to, 
to focus on like what's in, like what's really important. Like what's the end game really? What's really the end game? Most people don't do this for a living. Mm-hmm. So them placing in a competition um, is not part of like for, they shouldn't really get upset about it the way that some of them do get upset about it. You know, like for me, placing in a competition is, imp- is important because that's how I pay my bills. That's part of how. I yep. pay my bills. Right. However, you'll never see me, and I get screwed a lot lately. I'm going to say last four years. You'll never see me walk away from a competition being like, like annoyed. I'm just like, oh, it is what it is. It happens because I've I've figured out that my place in the swing dance community is much larger than me placing in an event, even though it's important for me for my bills. Like people come up to me and go, I loved your class, Deborah. You're so inspiring. You empower me. Um, I I feel strength. Um, I see your strength when you dance, like things that they recognize that are part of me as a human and not part of me. Mm -hmm. You know, as a dancer, they see past the dancing, they recognize the dancing part, but then they go, wow, like you're someone who's like really, spiritual and soulful and and you you like people you care for people so then i'm like ah well i might not place but look how many people i've affected and to me that's much larger than placing yeah i think the challenge for a lot of people who aren't trying to be professionals Mm -hmm. is the fact that um once you get into this scene and where there are people who look as human animals or just as animals, as humans, as animals, <laughs> or human animals, um, naked apes, whatever, Desmond Morris. Um, but as animals, like social status is important. And so yeah. I, I, I hear you that like, I'm 100% on keeping realistic expectations and not getting caught up in the competition thing. But there are plenty of people who do get caught up in it because it's very prevalent um, that what happens in competition is affecting our social hierarchy in our community. The fact that there is a social hierarchy is a problem, right? Like that it's not just competition, it's spilling over. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I do see people get upset because they, they want more, but what they want is more social status because they feel like that will give them more access to better dances. Well, I think it also makes them feel, and you can correct me, Tom, because you're the psychology guy. Uh, <laughs> but I think it also makes them like it, it's what defines them. It makes them feel more important as a human. If the they place validation. Them, yes, mm-hmm. they need to be validated. And I say this to people all the time. Dancing is not what makes you who you are. It's just a part of who you are. Like dancing is a part of me, but it's not all of me. There's so much more to me than just my dancing. It doesn't validate me as a person or even as a dancer. I have seven people telling me whether I'm good or bad. Really? Because I could do more than you can do on the dance floor. You know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, so, yeah. Well, go ahead, Tom. Oh, I was going to say yes and, and, and comparison is a thief of joy. I told you that, Eric, before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the funny thing is, is if we can, we should, it'd be awesome if we don't, we're not tied to the outcome. So that makes us unhappy. But also revel in it when the outcome is great. So Correct. I was I was the happiest third place person at the open when I did the first year strictly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew. I, I I got third with Michelle Kincaid. Um, right. We lost to Christopher Joe and Melanie Nalini and and Romero and Sylvia. Right? Who's going to beat them? 
Right. I was third. I was super happy. I was more happy after that than winning the Open the year before. Um, because I wasn't expecting it. And I was right. super happy. So, so let's not expect it. But get out there. Do your best. Because that's where you get your reward. Can you say that you did your best and that you were who you were, where you're supposed to be? Yes. And yeah. kick the ass as much as what you can do? That's, that's who you're competing against is, is your best self, not against somebody else. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if, if you can do that. So well, what, would you, what would you say to people who, because I feel like people come in. Um, I, I've seen people kind of become more insecure being in the scene because they, they value themselves. But when you get into uh, a socially stratified um, community or society and you're like, well, I value me, but I don't see other people valuing me. Mm. It makes you question your worth, mm. right? Because like, I'm like, well, why won't people dance with me, right? Like, I don't understand. I'm fun. I'm nice. And yet people are turning me down or they won't hang out with me. And I, I see people that's, I see that as part of why people get caught up in competition because they start to question their own value. And so they mm. put more of that emotional investment into winning with the hopes that that will give them the validation or feedback that they want and or the social status or, or whatever else goes with it. And I'm wondering, Tom, if you have one, observe that, because that's been part of my observation of, of the journey that dancers, especially competitors, go through. Um, but also, too, would you have any advice for people to hold on to their self-worth? in the face of these external issues? Tom. So, <laughs> so that's something I've struggled with personally all the time. Same um, here. The whole, the whole thing about sources hierarchy and belongingness, um, you know, read all the Brene Brown books. Yes. Um, Cause we're social creatures and mm -hmm. we're, we're validated as our individual selves by how well, how much we're connected to the community, whether it's your family or dance community or whatever it is, right? Um, so that's that's really hard, and it's part of being human. Um, yes, you're going to always feel that that external validation is something that we all love to have, that ideally everybody would get, but we don't all get. Um, so yeah, I, I do I do struggle with that personally, and I have seen people struggle with that as well. And I know that there's a lot of people who who have dropped off the scene, right? Who I thought were great dancers and wonderful people, but they don't do it anymore because they say, screw this. Um, I don't want any part of this whole competitive, hierarchical, everybody's who am I better than thinking. At the same mm -hmm. time, it's a two-edged sword because I do notice the venues that do regular Jack and Jules, either progressive or whatever, seem to kind of elevate their community's level of skill right um more than those who don't um so i don't know it's a two-edged sword what, what do yeah. you think deborah well i think <laughs> there's so many things that i think tom <laughs> but, <laughs> where to start no where to start um yeah. i think i think competition is important because it does elevate the dance right but I think, I think we've lost sight of, of something. For me, it's still really important to get to know people. And I don't really care if they're a great dancer or a good dancer. I want to know if they're a good human. And I think if people would focus on that more, 
then their dancing would elevate naturally because they're, 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 being, they're learning how to be comfortable in their own skin. And I think people search within the dance community to feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the kinder you are and the more respectful you are, the more inclusive you are, you will feel good about yourself. I feel like when you do things for others, you feel good about yourself. Or, or maybe I'm maybe I'm different. I, I feel good when I help um, others. And I feel good when I hug others. And I feel good when I smile um, at others. And I'm not saying that I, I'm always perfect because sometimes I'm, you know, I'm, I'm human too, but I, I try to make the effort of like um, making people understand that, we're, you know, we're, we're really important. And the dancing is just a little bit of like what we do. We should think about the dancing as, as of how we meet and connect with more people, not where we are in our dance that allows us to connect and meet more people. That's how I feel about it. But what do I know? <laughs> You're so you know? green, Deborah. You've just been here for like, a you know, because I, I, I struggle too. <laughs> like I said, with the dance communities, I struggle sometimes where I yeah. just like, I get up and I just, I don't want to do it. I, I've cried at night. I just don't want to do it. I, I've, I've said so many times in a, I'm, I'm in a community where I'm well loved and I'm, I'm well liked by many people many and yet i feel so alone sometimes a lot mm-hmm. and has nothing to do with this fact that i'm not what's that i think there's a common experience actually you're around not, all not these people. i know that's what makes it harder i think <laughs> which is why i think i i am so adamant about making sure that when i'm at events that i connect and i can't connect with everybody but i make sure that i connect with people like Eric and I make sure we connect. Mm-hmm. You and I, you know, make sure we connect. I make sure like Kyle and Sarah, Sean and Courtney, like I pick events because we're, we're all, we also, you know, separate. Tatiana, I, like it's important for me to make connections with my friends and, and not like dancing on the dance floor, like saying, hey, so how are you doing? What's going on? You know, like making that type of connection. I don't think people do that enough. And that's why they're va- trying to be validated by the first place, second place, third place in, 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 in the dance scene. Or maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I f- feel like I live in utopia. Like, I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's wrong. anything wrong to No, I don't think there's anything wrong to want that at all. There's nothing wrong with that. I um, want more I, of that. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's get more of that. Because you're right. You know, the only people who are happy are, or who... If you're out there to win, the only people who are happy are the people who win. That's it. Everybody else, 99.9% of them is going to be unhappy. And don't get me Hopefully wrong. Hopefully that's not why people win. Right, but don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't want to win. Of course I want to win. Nobody enters a competition to lose. Who does that? But my point is, is that if I don't win, I don't walk away feeling like, well, I'm not such a great dancer anymore. Actually, when I don't win, I'm like, yes. what the hell were they looking yes. at? I'm more like, have you yes. not seen me dance? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. It doesn't make me yeah. feel less of a human. Well, in the times when I just was talking to Teeny about this the other night, about, you know, my feelings of going, because I have gone in and out of the scene, and the times when I've been brought back in or the times when I stay in is because of people. Like, I, I don't go to as many events now 
just for the dancing. Exactly. Uh, same as you, Deborah. I'm like, who am I going to see? Who am I going to hang out with? Who, who do I, I get talk? to catch up with? Yes. I'm um, excited. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the dance, it's a social dance, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about the dancing. It's about the relationship and, and the connections mm-hmm. we have with other people. And, and I think, you know, myself as a community leader, us as instructors and leaders in our own communities or even nationally or internationally, like Deborah, um, you do a great job of it, of promoting that. that I we think need that's to my brand. Social, we need to set social norms um, and values. We need to lay down a culture that is about <clears throat> connecting with people, not dividing. Right. We do, we do more together than we do separately. And I think we live, you know, I hate to be political, but it, it, it puts things into perspective. We, we live in a society right now where governments thrive on us being separate mm-hmm. so that they can control us more. And I feel like the more separate we are, the, the more rules we get put on us. And that happens in dancing too. Mm-hmm. The more separate we become, the more, okay, now we got to put this rule in. Now we got to put that rule in. And it just breaks community. And the whole point of what we do is to have community, which is why we have, you know, I'm so glad we have people like, you know, myself and like John Lindo at, at, at uh, this past weekend at um, Halloween Swing Thing. We did a, a um, dollar dance for um, one of Chevy Slater's um, friends. They, a couple car accident, they lost a very young baby. Mm. Okay. And tragic, you know, money can't work and all those stuff. And we did a, you know, we did a dollar dance for them. She asked the pros if we would do it. We were like, absolutely. Absolutely. Anything for family. And, uh, John Lindo says before he even knows how much money we're going to raise, he says, uh, Liberty swing will match whatever we Mm. raise. For the for the family, so they we ended up raising I don't know like three grand or something. So you know John Lindo matches wow. that. I mean, and that, that's what I'm talking about about like you know humanity and building community and, and and you know and all those things like the dancing is just that's just a means of us how, of how we meet each other and get connected. But that shouldn't be the way we stay connected. Mm-hmm. People wake up. No. I'm raising my hands in the air. <laughs> so you can see. For a while, I wanted the tagline for Mission City Swing to be um, come for the dancing, stay for the people. Yeah, that's great. I love right. that tagline. That's, that's what I that. want. That's what I want West I Coast Swing to be. Come for yeah. the dancing, stay for, stay the, for the people. I think stay that's fantastic. Because most of us do that anyway. Right. And that's yeah. why, you know, there are times when I'm at swing events and I'm, I'm standing and I'm talking to someone and someone will ask me to dance and I'll say, I, I, I promise I'll come find you. Not because I don't want to dance, but because I'm connecting mm-hmm. and catching up with someone that I haven't seen in a while. And, and what, what, you know, where do we catch up? In the ballroom, because that's where we're all at. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good place to end. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts, Tom? Sure. Uh... No, not really. Well, I've, I've got many, many thoughts, but nothing that specific that comes to mind right now. Well, um, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us today. There is always more to talk about. Yes, um, never so enough time. We'll probably have you back on oh, and we'll chat more about these kind of things. And, and, you know, you and I always 
have our usually post-dance parking lot conversations <laughs> or post-dance <laughs> meal true. conversations. Um, and oh, it's nice to be able to share those here. I, I did, Go ahead. Go so ahead. I did want to say something. I wanted, I wanted to not apologize, but just explain that I wasn't trying to call you out, Eric, about the whole space thing at Mission. I think you're doing a great job with the logistics of the way things are. Yeah, yeah. Um, seriously. So just want to let you know that. And your new decision is yours, and I'm, I'm cool with whatever. Um, and I think the mentorship thing, that's really, really cool. I'm glad that you're doing, trying to do something about it. Um, like, I was just talking to Yeni the other day. I was saying how much I like Death Arts in some ways so much better because it's one giant room. Right, right. And that there isn't, there isn't the, the line, invisible line at the DJ booth where the right. young people stay there and the older mm-hmm. people stay there. Yeah, you can't hide And so, room. no, you can't hide that. There's no couch kids anymore. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so you're doing a good job. And so, so sorry about that. I don't mean to call you out about that. Oh, it's, no, no, it's just fine. like we're doing the best we can. And you're to be admired for trying to mitigate that, actually, right? And trying to do something about it rather than just letting it happen. Thanks. So, kudos. Uh, so, there's one thing is hey, if everybody could go to a dance and say, you know what, tonight I'm going to dance with one person I've never danced with before. I think that's a great idea. And maybe that's something we can do. Absolutely. We used to do that more often. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you used to hear it more, including myself. I'm not as good about it anymore, and mm-hmm. I should fix that. Um, but used to, like, end class and or in the middle of the night, like, when making announcements, just say, hey, for the next dance, like, find somebody you don't know. Or make the commitment to dance with one person you've never danced with before. Beginner or just somebody visiting out of town, whatever. Just right. find somebody new and connect for three, mi- yep. three to four minutes. Yeah, it's three minutes. What the heck? Right, exactly. It's no big deal. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tom. We love you. (laughs) Or at least I love you. Love you too. I love you too. And I'm so grateful to have you um, here in the Bay Area. I have, I not only enjoyed talking with you, but learned a lot. Um, You, you forced me to think about things and or shared your knowledge in ways that is, I feel like made me a better community leader. So I'm really grateful for that. And it's nice to be able to take our parking lot conversations and share them with the rest of our audience. <laughs> you know, and I thought I was the only one who had parking lot conversations with Eric. Now I feel like I'm not special anymore. We had, we had well, okay, yeah. first of all, we had <laughs> He's a parking on garage you. conversation. <laughs> yes. We stood in the parking garage for like seven hours drinking gin and talking. Talking. Well, this that is how the Naked Truth came Yeah, that was the night we decided to do this podcast. Usually it's hotel rooms or bars or restaurants. Yeah, no, we're in the garage. <laughs> no, no bars. You know, I totally missed like, uh, like what was that one we had at the boogie? Uh, uh, Knuckles. Ch- Knuckles. Knuckles. Yeah. I miss Knuckles. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I miss Knuckles. A lot of us yeah. miss it. Not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not the same. Well, anyway, you can um, find Tom here in the Bay Area locally. Um, he's everywhere, which is great. He supports all the dances here. You can also find him on the Facebook. Tom Paderno. Um, the Facebook. The Facebook, like the interwebs. Um, <laughs> if you would like to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode or any other episode with us, you can post a comment on our website. You can also email Deborah and me through our website at thenakedtruthwcs.com. You can also reach us through our Facebook page, send us a message, leave us a comment. Uh, you can tweet at us on Twitter at Naked Truth WCS, and you can find us on the Instagram at the Naked Truth WCS. Um, you can like us, you can follow us, you can and should share us, share our posts and help spread the word. Um, and of course, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. 
if we are not on your podcast hosting platform, please let us know so we can make that available for you. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the naked truth. Good seeing you, Deborah. Yes, you too. Love you lots, Tom Padona. Are you going to um, open or capital? I'm dancing the open and I'm going open. to capital. Open, that's right. right. You and PJ. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Is he doing the fish thing? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> fish out of water. <laughs> oh, God. No, but that'd be funny. That'd Let be see, awesome. uh, let's see if we could, could incorporate that in there. Let's, let's see if I could do that. <laughs> It'd be funny if you do it. Uh, if I do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you did the fish out of water thing. Oh my God. Back to him. Definitely change your brand. Yeah, that, yeah totally change my brand, right? Yeah. All right.